Today's reading is taken from um, Romans chapter 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we have not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, James. Just humour me for a moment. Put your hand up if you're a child. (laughs) Okay, now look at the front cover of your service sheet. Now put your hand up if you're a child. Okay, thank you, you humoured me. Okay, Um, to understand what it means to be a child of God, one might say is the second most important thing in the Christian life. And if that's true, then the most important thing in the Christian life is knowing that we are a child of God, experiencing that we are a child of God. So I wonder if that's your experience. Do you feel that God is your loving father and you are his child? And if you're not sure, don't be anxious about that. Just let that question hang in the air as we, as we go through this. Because for some of us, it's not easy to grasp and understand God as a loving father for a number of reasons. For some people, they didn't know a loving father when they were growing up. And that can make it very difficult when we use the language of God as loving Father in the church. For some people, it's just a thing that we sort of read in the Bible or we hear about it and we sort of know that technically we are, but we don't actually experience it. It hasn't moved from our head to our hearts. And then for others, some people have been taught in the past about a very distant God, a remote God, who they can't possibly approach themselves, that they have to approach through the priest or through a third party or something like that. But the Bible's very clear, and Jesus was very clear, that our relationship with God should be like a child and their loving father. 
And the problem is that if we don't experience that, if we don't know that, then we can miss out on the deepest joy of, of an intimate relationship with God because he's kind of distant. Or we can miss out hearing his call on our lives, what he wants for us, because he's distant and we don't hear him. Or we can miss out the joy of knowing the power of his Holy Spirit in us, guiding our lives, leading us. But the wonderful thing is, in this passage that Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, it doesn't just tell us how to understand what it means to be a child of God, but it helps us to draw close to God. So we'll look at that in a moment. But I want to start, before we turn to the the passage itself, I want to start in John's Gospel. If you've got a Bible with you, then it's page 1065 of the Church Bibles. John chapter 3. But I'll tell you, if you haven't, don't worry, I'll tell you what's going on. A religious man called Nicodemus has come to see Jesus to ask him about the secrets of God, if you like. And Jesus replies, very truly, he says, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, you see, if we're, if we're to be children of God, a child isn't the starting point, is it? The starting point is a birth. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus understandably says, well, I don't know what you're talking about. How can you be born again? I can't go back into my mother's womb to be born again. And Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. And what he means by that is that just as in flesh gives birth to flesh, just as when a man and a woman come together in a physical union, there's a physical birth and a baby is born. So when the Spirit of God comes together with the Spirit of a person, we are spiritually born. And that's what it means to be born again. Being born again isn't some kind of uh, happy, clappy churchmanship. Jesus said, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So every faithful Christian is a born-again Christian. But that's not the point. The point is that there's a spiritual birth. The Holy Spirit makes us children of God when we decide to put our trust in Jesus. And if we, if we know that, then Paul's passage, this, this letter that he writes to the Romans, or this particular passage, comes alive for us. So Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, it's in your service sheets. So he begins by saying, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Just confirming what we've read in the previous passage. It's the Spirit that makes us children of God. He goes on in verse 15, and I'm going to pick out a number of aspects of being children of God. He says, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear, rather... The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And so the first thing we see about this relationship between God our Father and we as children of God is that we are not just children, but we are adopted children. And 
And the first thing to say about that is that it's the highest privilege. Now, in our Western culture, we don't necessarily associate being adopted with it being a privilege. But in the culture Paul was writing into, in the Roman culture, to be adopted into Roman citizenship in a family was the highest possible privilege you could get. If you weren't a Roman citizen, then being adopted into a Roman family was giving you a real identity in that culture. It was the highest privilege. There was a a Cornish miner called Billy Bray, um, who was born in about 1795 or something like that. But anyway, he was a Cornish miner, and he was a drunk, and he was a violent man. And, um, and, And I think he was pretty unkind to his wife as well. But at the age of 29, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he, walked, he came back home that day, and he said to his wife, you will never see me drunk again. I'll never harm you again. And he, and he never did. But Billy Bray went on to become a powerful preacher, full of the Holy Spirit, and hundreds of Cornish miners turned their lives to Jesus Christ as a result of the transformation they saw in Billy and, and the power of, of the Holy Spirit in his preaching. And, and Billy had a favourite saying. He used to say, I'm a prince. And people would look at him a bit oddly, and he'd say, yeah, well, I must be, because I'm the son of a king. I'm a child of God. I'm the son of a king, so I must be a prince. And that was one of his favourite sayings. So it's the, it's the highest privilege to be adopted as children of God. And you know, in this world where so many people suffer from low self-esteem, this is the best answer to low self-esteem, is to knowing that you are an adopted son or daughter of God. God has chosen you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? It's the the greatest answer. And so then it goes on. And it goes on to describe what kind of relationship it is. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And what this tells us is that as children of God, our relationship with God is to be the closest, most intimate relationship. Because Abba is an Aramaic word used by children in that culture to say dad or daddy. It's that close, it's that intimate. And Paul is writing here, and he's quoting Jesus as well, who also used that, that term that our relationship with God is not distant. It's not through a third party. It's not through the priest. It's like a child. It's that close, a son or a daughter to their dearest father. And you know, if you feel that God is distant in your life, then one of the best remedies for that is to start praying all your prayers. Don't say Almighty God or O God or anything like that. Begin your prayers, Dearest Father or Abba, Father. And if you keep praying that over and over, then your relationship will grow closer and closer. And I know that. I've been there. I've done it. And so I really recommend that. If you feel God's a bit distant, pray, Dearest Father, because that's the relationship that he wants with us. And then verse 16 goes on. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In other words, the Holy Spirit makes that relationship real for us. For me, this happened, and it, for, for, many, some, for some people it happens very gradually, for others it, it can be quite dramatic. For me, it was quite dramatic. The day in South Africa 
that many of you know about when I went to, to this little church where I wasn't a Christian, I wasn't a churchgoer, I wasn't a believer, <clears throat> and I ran headlong into God, and, and I, the power of his spirit came on me. The thing that I took away with me as I walked out of that church, and it stayed with me ever since, is this incredible feeling that God is my father, and I am his child. And it's never left me. It's the, and that's the Holy Spirit living in us, testifying to us, that we are God's children, and he is our father. And then in verse 17, he says, Now, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And this is amazing. This is the inheritance that we have as children of God. Children inherit from their parents. And what Paul writes here is that we don't just as children of God, become inheritors, we are inheritors to the same degree that Jesus was. So everything that Jesus has inherited from God, we will too. We are co-heirs with Christ. What does that mean? Well, after Jesus died, he rose from the dead, didn't he? And he had a new resurrection body. The gospel accounts, all four of them, give accounts of Jesus risen from the dead in a new physical body, walking around. And it was amazing, actually, because he could eat meals. He ate fish on the shores of of the Sea of Galilee after he'd risen from the dead. But he could also walk through doors and walk through walls. I'm rather looking forward to that. Sounds quite exciting to me. But we'll inherit, after we die, we'll inherit new resurrection bodies that will live forever. And we'll inherit, along with Jesus, eternal life. It's just mind-boggling. It's so fantastic what it means to be a child of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. And then there's a kind of shadow, I suppose, in this next part. Because Paul goes on to say, we're co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings. Well, what does that mean? What's that all about? Well, What Paul is pointing out is that as Christians, we're not exempt from suffering. We get ill. We have accidents. Bad things happen to us and to our families. Things go wrong. Becoming a Christian doesn't guarantee us from suffering in life. Jesus didn't come to make life easy or to make life comfortable. He came to make people great. So what do we say about this suffering? Well, the first thing we say is that God himself knows exactly what suffering is. Because he suffered more than you or I or anyone will ever suffer in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, but at the end was disgraced and shamed and beaten. And he had a crown of thorns rammed on his head. He was whipped flogged within an inch of his life, and then he was nailed to a wooden cross, and he was strung up in agony until he died. And if that wasn't bad enough, more than the physical suffering that he suffered was the spiritual suffering as he carried the sins of the world, all of the things that you or I have ever done wrong and ever will do wrong. As he carried the sins of the world... 
he was cut off from his father, from his loving heavenly father. And he shouted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God knows what suffering is, and he's suffered more than you or I will ever suffer. But also, he redeems suffering. Because I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but some of the people who I know who have got the most beautiful, beautiful faith are people who've suffered much. He brings good things out of suffering. You know, our wonderful sister Phyllis, who left us last year, to go to be with him. Phyllis had the most gorgeous faith. And yet she had cancer after cancer after cancer. She had operation after operation after operation. She suffered physically hugely. And yet she had this gorgeous faith. And in her last weeks she was saying, I cannot wait to go and be with Jesus. It was wonderful to see her. God brought... God deepens our faith through suffering. It's not a failure of the Christian life. But he goes on to say that if we share in his sufferings, we may also share in his glory. Well, what does he mean by glory? Well, he's not just redeeming us as individuals to disappear to some spiritual realm where we'll float around forever, at all. There's something much better than that. God is redeeming the whole of creation. In verse 21, Paul puts his finger on this. In the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know God made the world good. Genesis tells us he made it good. And we know that in our disobedience, in our sin, in in our greed, um, in our pride, we have made a right mess of it. We only have to look at the news to see that. And yet God's plan is much bigger than just whisking us off somewhere. It's to redeem the whole of creation. The The Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. It'll be like heaven come to earth. It'll be a physical thing that we experience in our new resurrection bodies with Jesus forever. It's absolutely wonderful. And so this is what it means to be children of God. It's just amazing, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful? Who wouldn't want to be a child of God? And how are we to respond to this? If perhaps we feel we are a bit distant, if we're we're not aware that we are children of God. How are we to respond to this? Well, we all, we're all in different places, and some of you may not even have any sense that you, 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 may, you may never have asked God to adopt you as his child. And some of you may be a person of faith, but you may just not feel that relationship of a loving Heavenly Father close to you in an intimate relationship. And some of you may feel, well, I do know God as my father, but, but I, you know, I, there's still areas in my life I'm, I feel I'm held back. And, and, and actually, I'd like to completely give over my life to God so that I can live and be the person that he made me to be. 
And the answer to all of those situations is prayer. And if you've never asked God to be to take you on as his child, as, as, as his adopted child. I'm going to pray a prayer now, and you can do that right here and now. And you can do it silently in your heart. No one will know that you're doing it. Um, and I'm going to pray a prayer that will help you to do that. If God has been distant for you, then back to what I said earlier. Please, start praying your prayers, dearest Father, loving Father, and he will grow closer to you, and you will grow closer to him. And if you wish to give over more of your life to God, if there are things in your life that you know you need to give back to him, to move on and to live fully for him, then you can pray to your Father that he will fill you with his Holy Spirit, and that he will lift those things off you and free you to be the people he called you to be. Let's pray. So if you've never asked God to become your father, you can pray this prayer along with me in your heart. Dearest Father, thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, to die for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. I long to know you as my loving father. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit. Cleanse me of anything that isn't right. Lift it away from me, Lord. Because I want to do life with you. Loving Heavenly Father. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.